Well, um, I want to talk about Buddha's enlightenment tonight because uh, we start our yearly Buddha's enlightenment session tomorrow, seven, seven days. Buddha was our model for someone who wanted to understand the reality of being and uh, his practices that he had been taking on for the previous six years didn't bring him to that understanding and so he sat down under that tr that that tree um, maybe for seven days or maybe for seven weeks um, until until he realized the reality of our existence and so we we use that as a model to sit every year around this time um, to sit intently with the idea of settling into our buddha mind our buddha body and realizing buddha's realization which is our life is is nothing but this life this life that says i am this life of being and um So the uh, schedule, uh, the schedule will be a little different. We won't have evening sitting at six o'clock until next Wednesday, um, but the morning sits are still available uh, at six in the morning. A lot of people uh, that uh, that can't do the the full seven days. Um, like to come say at 7 15 and sit the last two periods in the evening with the group that's here and uh, just to settle into that um uh that mind and body of buddha for a couple of periods of meditation before um before going to bed 7 15 to 8 30. a lot of people come uh, to the 9 20 in the morning sit and sit uh, a period of meditation and then that uh, continues on into the lecture that we have every day um, i'll be um, talking about uh, the writings of our uh, one of our founders keizan jokin um, from the 1300s in japan who wrote extensively about the extensively about this practice so I'll be using uh, his uh, his uh, masterwork, the transmission of light, uh, and we'll let Kazan talk about his understanding of the reality of our existence uh, as he understands it from Dogen, his uh, his teacher. Uh, so. Um, so that's what's happening uh, the next seven days. And um, 
I, uh, I'll say more about that towards the end. Uh, but first I'll tell you about my vacation. Uh, I've, I've, uh, I've been lucky enough to, to go to museums and eat in restaurants the last few years in Europe uh, for, for a, a fall vacation. And, um, and uh, the, those museums are very inspiring. The, the, you know, art, art is Buddha's eyeball. Um, art is that great combination, that, that, that inseparable pair of just paint on a canvas or just stone on a pedestal and uh, so just just a thing just a but it touches the spirit it's inseparable from the spirit it's inseparable from um from the unity the non-separation uh we're all we're all touched in that way and um uh, Catherine, the, our first abbot here, said that, that the artist brain, the, 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 the brain that's activated when we're creative, when we're, when we're um, doing artistic activity, is the same brain that's, that's activated in our sitting meditation practice. And that, that, makes, that, makes, that makes perfect sense. Um, uh, we know, uh, now I'm going to try to get creative here. So here's a, I don't know if I can make this bigger to tell you the truth, but this is a big, a big statue of Rodin in the Rodin Museum. And, um, and this is bronze becoming movement. It's inseparable from movement. It, you just know that, that that figure is going to storm right out of that building, whether he has arms or a head or not, he's already moving. Um, that's the, the inseparability of, of metal and movement. Uh, here is, I know I can make this a little bigger. Here is the Monet water lilies. Just this, just this liquid color on the end of a brush and it turns into light. Um, and uh, makes, us, makes us see in three dimensions, uh, this thing that's flat against the wall 
if you've ever seen his water lilies, you know that uh, it would fill up one whole wall. They're about 40 feet long and, and uh, 15 feet high. Um, I've got a million of them. And then we, then we come to uh, Rogan. Uh, just that same paint on the end of a brush, and it becomes emotion. It, uh, it touches our heart. Um, uh, you, you know, um, Gauguin, or Van Gogh, uh, he cut off his ear and uh, he was taken by police to the psychiatric hospital where he was there for a month. We still do that. Uh, that's how people get into the psychiatric hospital a lot of the time today. The police come. And uh, he was released after a month and lived with his brother back in Paris. He was very close with Theo, his brother. And uh, it was felt even by Van Gogh that um, he wasn't better. He was depressed. Um, he wasn't thinking clearly. So Van Gogh requested to go back into the hospital where so he was a voluntary patient for a year. Um, uh, we still do that here, uh, except insurance won't pay for it. Uh, so most people can't stay for a year. Um, but he was there voluntarily for a year and, and got a lot better. And when he got out, um, he felt like he still needed a little support. So uh, his brother Theo found a specialist, uh, Dr. Gatchet, Gachet, maybe you say Gachet in French, uh, who uh, in medical school had written a paper called The Treatment of Melancholy, which is another word for depression. So he went to live with Dr. Gatchet and his family. I think he probably lived in an ADU behind their house, and, uh, just like a lot of us have in our backyards for students to live in. Van Gogh was living in the backyard of Dr. Gachet. And, um, you know, there was no treatment for depression in the late 1800s other than talk therapy. And that's probably what Dr. Gachet, that was what he specialized in, is just sitting down can I have a relationship with you? Let's figure this out. Dr. Gachet was also a painter and, um, uh, and uh, uh, interested in it. So, so they, were, they, were a perfect, they were a perfect pair. And, uh, and, and Dr. Gachet told Van Gogh, I want you to paint a painting every day. So he did, he painted a whole painting every day. This, this is one of them that he painted. You can see how fast he did it. The, the, the 
the, the brushes were flying. Uh, this is the wheat fields with crows. And uh, those, uh, you know, up close, uh, you can, you know, get, you can get up close in the museums. You see that those crows are just, you know, big brush strokes, eh, eh, you know, with nothing but black paint, eh, eh, just as fast and hey. So, so the, it, it, you know, it, the, the, this one is maybe one of his darker paintings in that in that period, uh, just because you know the sky is so dark and the crows are ominous. Um, but. Uh, uh, he painted a picture, a portrait of Dr. Gachet, um, a little more tranquil, um, the same quick brush strokes. I, I mean, he loved painting and uh, he really wanted to, he really thought that it was great, great therapy for him to just focus on on painting a painting every day. He was close, he had dinner with the Gachet family. And this is um, uh, Dr. Gachet's daughter in the garden. Um, it said that he was, he started to buy pre-made, you know, he was going through, through paint and canvases so fast. He started buying pre-made canvases. Uh, that were all the same size, um, and uh, and he was starting to prepare for a show, uh, so he was really getting excited about his artwork, and um, uh, uh, kind of getting back into the groove again. Uh, there's another painting of Gachet's daughter. I don't have it up here of her playing the piano. You know, maybe after dinner, they all sat around and sang, <laughs> sang some tunes. Uh, so, um, uh, oh, oh, I, I didn't. Um, years, years before he uh, had his his first major depression. You know, he he was living in the south of France, and Theo, his brother, was living in Paris. He was Theo was an art dealer, and they corresponded quite a bit. So, so we have a lot of of, uh, of Vincent's words and thoughts. We have a lot of Theo's words and thoughts. Um, uh, several years before, Theo had said, uh, or um, Van Gogh had, had said, uh, and I, I, I'm so high tech. I, I, I have this on my tablet, but of course I forgot to bring the tablet. So I'll just paraphrase. Uh, it was, um, uh, Van Gogh wrote to Theo saying, I've made two big drawings, uh, charcoal drawings, one called Sorrow. It was a, of a young woman uh, walking and um, the other called Roots. And uh, he said that, um, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, sometimes uh, life is so stormy, it knocks you down to your roots. 
And uh, he felt that both of these paintings, or both of these charcoal drawings, represented, uh, you know, living through the storms of our life. One with a little sorrow, one just kind of flattened. You know, there was a big storm in, um, on the East Coast now, um, and uh, wind and cold and snow, and it blew down the national Christmas tree on the White House lawn. So, uh, you know, that, that of course was, didn't have roots. It just had a, a, a tree stand. <laughs> but, but you can imagine that, uh, that, uh, that maybe even before he was very ill at the end of his life, he still felt that, that there's a little struggle. There's a little, he understood uh, as we say in Buddhism, the truth of suffering. And uh, he felt like uh, sometimes he gets knocked down uh, to the roots. And interestingly, they, I, you know, in the museum that I saw this, they, they didn't make this connection. They, they had the roots, um, they had the roots on the wall in another room. They had a lot of his of Vincent's words on the wall to Theo, where he talked about his painting, uh, talked about his life in Arles, uh, just on the wall. And then um, the last room in the Van Gogh Museum is are the last uh, his last paintings, and uh, they didn't make this connection, um, but his last painting was uh, was tree roots. He would walk past this tree with these tree roots um, on his way to the wheat fields um, uh, where he would sit and paint wheat fields and crows like we saw on his way to uh, the Gachet garden where he would chat with uh, Mademoiselle Gachet so he passed these tree roots, and uh, this ultimately was his last painting. Um, it's kind of abstract. You can hardly tell that they're tree roots unless somebody tells you what, what, what they are. And uh, uh, so this, this was his, his last work before, before he took his life. Um, but... Uh, uh, I can't make it any bigger. The beautiful colors, lots of rhythm. It's almost like they're dancing. Um, In, in Buddhism, we talk about, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm going to try as, as much as I can to make a, uh, a connection between uh, the mind and body of Buddha and our, our roots. You know, me metaphors always break down, so... Uh, uh, 
that's bound to happen too. But um, when we talk about um, dropping body and mind in our meditation, maybe we can think of this body and this mind, this mind that, that you know, plans for car repair, this mind that, uh, that says, uh, you know, I'm never going to my brother's again for Thanksgiving. Uh, uh, we, we, that, that, that's the, that's the mind that we, we sort of, uh, that habitual, the habitual patterns, you know, that it says it's too cold in the Zendo. Uh, all those habitual patterns, we, in our meditation, uh, we kind of put them down while we just settle completely right here in this spot. Um, and uh, where we settle to might be called, you know, our root consciousness, our one mind. Um, Kazan, Kazan himself said that uh, this one mind of Buddha that is ours um, is the place where not a single concept can be produced. Uh, a modern Zen teacher said, said the same words, said um, that when we sit Zazen, we settle in that mind, the mind that comes before we start naming things this or that, before thought arises. And, uh, and you know, we, we, uh, we've, we've, all, we've all met that mind. We've all been sitting here. Um, many of us for, for several decades, many of us uh, for several weeks, but we come here and, uh, and at least for a moment, our mind can get quiet. We're not thinking about car repair or difficult relationships. Uh, we just are breathing in and out, that one mind and everything in the world comes out of that mind. This body emerges out of that mind. Uh, if, if, uh, if somebody slams the door um, when they come in, our bodies will jump. Uh, and there's that body again that looks just like me every day. Uh, there's that thought again. I thought it was supposed to be quiet in here. People are too noisy in here. That kind of complaining mind that, that I've been with now for 70 years, that emerges uh, again. Uh, and then, then when things quiet down a little bit, like my mind, uh, you know, I can find that, um, that uh, place before I start naming this and that, before a single concept emerges um, and that's that's the mind of buddha that's the mind of and body of, of buddha uh, that's the mind that van gogh said uh, i'm gonna make this wet paint into an emotion that's the mind where Rodin said, I'm going to make this 
bronze into movement, that mind of no separation, because I, I, uh, I, I bet that that mind before we uh, divide the world into this and that is the same for all of us. Um, and that everything emerges out of that mind. Um, uh, and when we are abiding in our meditation, uh, in that one mind, Kazan, Kazan calls it one mind. When we abide in that one mind, uh, we see that there isn't any separation. Uh, it's kind of a Buddhist joke to say, you know, we're one with everything. But, but that's what that one mind is. Uh, it shows that we're no separation. And then even, even when we, we get up like we did for walking meditation, and we could see that, oh, there's, there's 12 other people in the room, and there's another six people on the screen, we say, you know, that came out of this one mind too. Uh, I'm not so separated from, from all of these beings. And our practice, uh, when we have, when we've sat with that, with our mind of, of unity, with our true self, this is also called when, we, when we've sat in that place long enough, we, we come to trust that there isn't any separation. Um, that we're just the, we're just the enlightened activity of the one mind, the mind and body of Buddha, or, or the one mind. Uh, there's just this one, this, there's no separation. And, um, uh, and that's, that's what our, what our practice of sitting points us towards and, and helps us gain confidence or trust that this is our true home, that this is our one mind, this is our true self, our true body. Kazan says here, Zen masters have not spoken of having wisdom or not wisdom. Those are both uh, like thoughts. Zen mind, Zen masters have not spoken about having any special thoughts called wisdom or no wisdom or, or there's no ancient learning or new learning. They have just asked people to sit up straight and calmly abide in the true self, in the one mind. This itself is the great teaching of tranquility and happiness. You just must stir yourself and turn inward to your own square inch of mind. Search there and do not seek elsewhere. 
if you want to arouse undefiled wisdom, just have this trust in the self. If you want to trust the self, this true self, then from birth to old age, you have to understand that it is only this one mind. In summary, there is no speck of dust to be abandoned, not a single thing to receive. So do not think about arousing even undefiled wisdom. He wants you to know that uh, there is nothing else uh, besides uh, this one mind, this one body that, it, that unifies everything. And when we fully trust in that, there's, there's nothing else that we need. We have all we need. We have, um, we have the whole works, as I, uh, as I say a lot. We have the old works. And, and he said, uh, this is the great teaching of tranquility and happiness. Um, uh, you might think that uh, to have tranquility and happiness, you need to go out and get something that you don't have already. And Kazan wants us really to understand that, um, that we are already nothing but the mind and body of Buddha. It's already right there. Uh, I think maybe there was a neat saying something about, oh, oh. Uh, no, it's not, it's not pop, popping up. It's something like um, you, you go out searching, you go out searching for that tranquility and happiness east and west when all the time it's sitting right there in your hand. Uh, so, so Kazan says that uh, when we trust this mind, when we trust this body of Buddha that is already right here, there's nothing else. Um, uh, we don't have to go looking outside of this, of this body and mind for what, what we think is out there. It's already right here, and that's uh, that's where we uh, where we find tranquility and happiness. Dogen, uh, uh, Kazan's teacher, a couple of generations before, but uh, Kazan uh, Kazan was quite the student of Dogen's works. Dogen calls this practice um, the Dharma Gate of Ease and Joy. And uh, uh, maybe sometimes when we start and we're trying to curl up into this position, it doesn't feel so easy. Uh, Dogen also said, uh, you know, this, this, uh, this um, meditation is not even about posture or sitting down or walking, you know, the going around uh, the room. After the after the meditation was called walking meditation. So, so, uh, so uh, uh, this meditation of ease and joy is just abiding 
in the one mind and the true self, uh, knowing that that uh, this thing that I call Patrick um, are just the the leaves and the branches of the trees that uh, I've got my feet uh, firmly on the ground, uh, the, the one ground, you know, the, the ground of the earth, or I've got uh, my consciousness uh, rooted in this one mind and one body, and that's uh, the one mind and one body of all objects, of all beings. And in what a way to negotiate your life out of that one mind um, rather than the more limited mind of the of the leaves and the and the and the branches the, the limited mind of of patrick who who uh, only bases what he knows of the world by by what i've experienced already um this uh, this one mind, this one body that is the whole works, that is nothing else. Uh, how can how could we uh, how could we lead our lives uh, with that on the foreground of of our consciousness? Um, uh, you know, just uh, as as uh, as we leave here tonight, many of us will be in our cars. Um, uh, just knowing that everybody on the road is um, is uh, trying to be harmonious and unified uh, and be grateful for that. Uh, and when we drive, uh, rather than trying to, you know, zip in before the, uh, you know, I turn right up here onto onto Water Street, and cars are coming up the hill, and uh, sometimes I'm 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 um, leading my activities with this limited mind. I really want to get home and have my dinner uh, after after sitting here in the evening, and and I want to rush out right in front of the car, and sometimes. Uh, uh, I'm just, I'm just so at ease uh, sitting, sitting in that Chevy of mine that I, I say, you know, I don't have to rush. Uh, there'll be a break in the cars in, in a few minutes. Well, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, that's, that, that's the way that even though we're not sitting in a quiet room facing the wall, you know, that's how we can, we can, uh, uh, move and groove in this body and mind of Buddha, a mind that's the whole works. Um, Why don't we um, have a little discussion, a few words about the whole works, or maybe a few words about, uh, you know, sometimes uh, 
sometimes when I'm sitting there impatiently on the corner of, of is it Emmet or Eret Circle? Uh, the one right out there. Or actually, I think on the other side, it's Silv, Sylvan, Sylvan, Silvar waiting to turn. I'm sitting there impatiently, and those cars just keep coming. And I just, out of necessity, have to drop body and mind. I say, I give up. And uh, there's a little bit of relief in that. There's a little bit of relief in coming back down to your roots coming back, remembering your Buddha body and mind, there's a little relief. The shoulders kind of relax a little bit. Um, uh, just like here in Zazen, you know, when we're caught up in car repair thoughts, and we say, you know, let's just put that thought away. I can't do anything about it this evening. And we just feel ourselves sink back into the cushion a little bit as we uh, get closer to our roots, as we drop body and mind and settle into the true self, the one mind. Any, any thoughts? Any thoughts? Michael. Okay, Patrick. You really threw me a curve when you're showing your art and the museum. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm here for a talk on body and mind, I'm trying to make, to make a connection. And I realized that doing art is an opportunity for the body and mind to become one. Certainly in 3D art and dance and music. Mm -hmm. But I had to make that connection because it was like, why is Patrick showing this art? Mm -hmm. But it, it definitely can opportunity for the body and mind to become one. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, and there's there's uh, you know I, I certainly used uh, I, I no I, I won't go there because I won't be able to won't be able to, to say it right, but there's there's something selfless I I believe in our creative acts. Um, there's something there's something selfless. Uh, uh, you know, Van Gogh really wanted us to know, really wanted us to connect with those black crows in the dark sky. Uh, he just knew that uh, we all knew that, that frame of mind. Uh, he wanted us to know what it's like sitting down uh, listening to someone play the piano, he knew that we could all share that mind. So that it wasn't, a, it wasn't just a, a snapshot of the things he liked to do. It was, he was saying, I, I'm, I'm connecting with all beings here. And, and, uh, and that's, uh, that's what our Zazen is. This is our uh, uh, connecting with, with, with all beings because it's our true body, um, our true mind is all beings. Thank you. Any, any other last thoughts? Sarah. I think that I, I go on walks and I walk 
find rather more regularly these days I walk into the kitchen with no idea what I'm going to have for dinner and I step into that place sometimes with a little chuckle and I think well let's find out <laughs> it's like I partner with myself and do something that amazes me and sometimes it even tastes good so it's just a fun place to be, you know, just going in like no idea and seeing what's there and coming out with something you didn't imagine you were going to do. And and don't you imagine that, that sometimes Van Gogh looked at that white canvas and says I and said to himself, I have no idea what's going to go on this on this uh, piece of canvas. Uh, what what emotion am I feeling right now? What uh, what gleam of sunlight is catching my attention right now? Let's see what I can do with that. Yeah. Let's let's see if I can just settle in to uh, to what's right there in front of me. So uh, so the I, the mind of the cook is is uh, the chef. The mind the mind that is Chef Corrine. Is, is no different than the mind of uh, painter Van Gogh or the mind of the of the of uh, of just sitting. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's there's no person that does this meditation. Um, uh, uh, Suzuki says it's zazen is what's doing zazen, and uh, so uh, so thank you very much. <laughs> uh, Yarrow, uh, take us on home with a last comment. Well, I was just going to say, and it struck me that the Buddha had, he consciously tried to do all these things to get somewhere, and then he gave up 
and he just sat. And that was the, the open canvas of, let's see what happens without all my effort. And something did. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, uh, Zen Master says, uh, uh, I've not spoken of any special learning. Uh, just sit straight and calmly abide in the true self. Uh, that's exactly what, what the Buddha did. All these things that I think I need to do, you know, just eat very little, wear hardly wear any clothes so that I'm chilly all the time, all those things that I think I need to do to be a holy man uh, haven't gotten me any place. So I'm just going to sit down here and, and watch myself. Uh, as Kazan said, turn those thoughts inward to this one square inch of body and mind and um, settle there, settle there. Thank you. Uh, one, one last comment from Lisa. Yeah, it's, it's called it's in the prologue. sitting and abiding in this one mind lead us to the trust to negotiate such a complicated world. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to end them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them.
Senhor.